No, I've been listening to, um, uh, what is it? You're Wrong About Games or whatever. Oh yeah, they're good. Did you hear the Food Chain episode? So very wrong about games. Uh, haven't heard the Food Chain episode. That's up on the docket. Uh, did listen to the, um, the, uh, Scythe the Wind Gambit, the, uh, many, uh, many episodes, Scythe the Wind Gambit, the Hammer Quest or whatever that is, uh, um, uh, Terraforming Mars, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, I want to play that. that I seems like a... don't like anything I know about it, but I will, we'll, we could talk a little bit about it. I, I, I feel like I've, I've always like... Like when I heard about the concept of it, I hated it for the for it being like like that that like the the shut up and sit down review like talks about how like you're just all sitting around like playing solitaire and you're doing engine building but no one's really ever interacting cooperative or otherwise. And then I think I need one game like that. I have zero. I think it would just be good to have one. Mm. I, I think that I, I don't think I would ever want to play a game that has like zero interaction because then like why are you playing together? So one thing that uh, I've been thinking about, you know what else I want to play that new level 99 game? I don't know if you've seen that, mm, but what, they what came out with a new game called Temporal Odyssey. And it's like a drafting game where you're um, sort of like going through different time eras and like, learning spells and picking up like monsters to help you fight off enemies seems cool is it is it too um like direct to uh consumers or like it's on uh, shelves it already had its kickstarter so it's like it's ready to go okay what does ready to go mean like you can buy it you can go onto their website and buy it oh okay i would maybe check that out possibly i feel like i've slowed down a lot now I'm slowing down more because I feel like I have a good coverage right now. I could use a few more. Um, and, and also, it's not even that like I could use a few more. I have to start like preparing for like a year or two in advance when my Kickstarter. Because like by um, December, I'm just going to start to become like, like if I didn't already have a zoo, my life is going to become this like wild zoo of like every month's going to be like, whoops, just got this. Hope I felt like playing it constantly. I'm not there. I don't have as many games in the queue as you do. I think, th- I think that will be really weird uh, from a uh, game board gaming standpoint, because I have never ever been new to a game. I've never been like, uh, uh, on the forefront of people like testing it, trying it the first time, saying like this doesn't seem balanced or this does seem really good. Um, I've always come to things late, so like, it it kind of it, it's weird. Like my opinions come uh all, all like I'm always uh like I, nothing exists in a vacuum. Like I never buy anything without knowing a lot about it beforehand and seeing like reading like multiple reviews, hearing tons of opinions of people that I respect a lot so that when I come into it, I feel like I hear their voices echoed the entire time. And it's very yeah, hard. But here's to another a... thing. And I don't know if you're this way also, but like, do you actually get into Kickstarters where there aren't videos and reviews? Because I don't No. Okay. Well, no, but no, but those don't matter anyway. Right. Like, like, like I, there are, 
there are certain games that I'm so excited about, like uh, Black Rose Wars or something, where there was like one or two videos of like them playing, but that doesn't mean that there's any sense of like overall balance or even that I like. I don't even know if if from that video that game's got to be really imbalanced, right? I, I mean, that, po- that's what po- I think. Possi- possibly, but but maybe With the imbalances stuff, would be impossible to find for a long time. I don't know. That game might be really imbalanced, but there. But I would imagine that the imbalances would probably be hard to find without a lot of play plays um uh it, I, I mean I, a lot of kickstarters like as, as long as they're not a second edition you don't have uh that serious play testing behind it to determine whether or not there are broken mechanics um so so i i, I but uh, but it goes the other way too because it's also kind of exciting to uh be able to get a game and form my own opinions completely I feel you. And I think that we've all been there with video games too, though, right? Yeah. Especially with like indie games where uh, there's just not a lot of noise about them at all. Mm-hmm. Like Cultist Simulator. Still on that, huh? Hell yeah. But mostly I've actually just been playing a lot of Octopath Traveler because... Me too. Because I've been getting seats on the train and if something is on the Switch, I'm more likely to play it. I don't know if I would be playing it as much if it weren't on the Switch. Um, if at I, all. I'm, I'm glad that you jumped into Octopath Traveler quick because I've now I've put in more of a significant amount of time. Uh, so you put in more time, so I just want to say that... Uh, so I've done the prologues. I'm kind of going around in a circle. Um, I went north, and we and we started from the same character. We started from Alfin, or I think I believe is his name, the um, Apothecary. Uh, yes. So, uh, I went north in a circle. So like I started clockwise and, um, the characters I have are like the hunter, the huntress. Um, I just got the scholar, uh, the, um, the like cleric, uh, the Ophelia. Yeah. The rogue or thief. And I think that's it. I think that's pretty much it because I have like five people. I have for for the first time I had to make the choice of who I would kick out. That game gets very hard as soon as you finish the prologues. Very hard, you say? Yeah, that game is. It gets pretty tricky. Uh, I don't know if you feel this way, but I I feel like certain characters are. I I don't know if you're at this point yet, but I feel like certain characters are must-haves. Um, like well, for example, Hanet. Okay, well, Hanet, the the Huntress, has like the is like really strong in general, but also has the ability to uh, diversify herself more than anyone else because she has this like Pokemon capture mechanic where uh, when you're fighting enemies, uh, you can capture them and then reuse their ability uh, a number of times. And uh, from the second I started like really using that, it made it so that like I, she has like icicle and she has like the frost ability, the fire ability. She has like a javelin ability that hits everything. And it makes it so that she's like one of my best characters for exploiting weaknesses because this game is like more than other RPGs. It's like very much about exploiting uh, known enemy weaknesses to get them to like lose a turn, which is like a huge mechanic in this game. It's like probably the only like large scale mechanic that I've seen in this is like that enemies have like a number of 
like a weak like the like the number of like weakness points and then it'll be like seven and you hit them with uh, their weakness seven times and they lose a turn and the idea is like getting that to happen on a turn that they're going to have a big turn like they prepare the spirit bomb and then you you knock them with their last weakness point and then they they sit out around um but uh Hannah seems really good uh, I recently got Cyrus, and he seemed really good because, especially in the open world, it uh, like like all, um, among like random fights, it started to get really uh, tedious to always be picking one enemy to hit, especially when my characters don't do that much damage unless they're attacking the enemy's yeah. weak spot. So Cyrus is the only character so far that like all of his attacks are like AOE spells, which is like so important in a in an RPG to be able to do uh, damage like that. Yeah, and the physical mirror of him is Ulbrich, the um, the knight, who has a lot of abilities that hit with physical. Like, like I think he has like a slash that hits everyone, and like a lance attack that hits everyone. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, so. But do you really want Ulbrich if you've got Hanit, right? Yeah, who can just get those anyway? Um. I don't know, like, I, I feel all sorts of ways on the game, and that's, I guess, a good thing. I feel like a lot of JRPGs uh, usually make me go... Because, like, I, I think that every JRPG in, like, almost the last decade at this point has been, like, absolute indefensible dog shit outside of the Persona series. And, like, like Shin Megami Tensei, like, stuff like that. Like, I, I, I think that that's, like, a pretty dead genre. So... The fact that I'm kind of in the middle on it, I think, is a is a a uh, feat for for Octopath Traveler. Um, I initially was drawn to it for the uh, the non like world ending story, the more personal stories. But then I kind of have lost my sense of that at this point because uh, Alfin, the first character that I played, really had this cute, touching story of he just wants to travel the world and get better at being basically a doctor so because he was you know moved into uh being a, an apothecary when he was young and was sick and someone helped him and said I, I just, you know I'm just gonna help people and uh I like that story but then when I see like so the next character that I found was Therian who is the thief and there was this whole thing that I don't know much about because I've only seen the prologue for him but he like when he was a kid, he was locked up in this jail, and then this other kid was there, and they both got out. And then after that, Therian's like, you know, something happened that is the game hasn't made aware yet. And Therian's like, I travel alone now. But then he meets, but then like you're, it's only for the purposes of this being a JRPG and being like a video game that like I'm yeah. traveling as Alfin, the apothecary, who's like, I'm just going to make. I'm just going to be a better doctor. I just want to heal people. And then you you run into this next town, and there's a dude who's like, I'm trying to rob this place, but I always work as a lone wolf. Do you and want Alfin's to work like, with yeah, me? I'm in. Yeah, Calm like, down. what the hell? Like, like, it, like, it was so weird because Theron's whole thing was like, was like, I travel as a lone wolf. That said, do you want to work with me? And it's like, what? This, what? Like, you're one of your character conceits is that like you used to have this partner in crime and now you don't anymore and you work as a lone wolf but then you like like your conceit is completely uh like 
it, 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 it's a story, it's like a narrative conceit that is immediately undone by the JRPG trappings, by the fact that, like, well, you know, okay, so we had the idea for Therian, and he has to, he's a thief who works alone, but um, it is a JRPG, and we already were talking about, like, all these characters joining up and being able to travel together and stuff like that. Like, there is no reason it is aggressively dumb that the, the yeah, characters are able sense. to help each other like no every character that like the game the game having this this very personal story and 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 leaning on because i think most jrpgs do lean on a narrative so i think that like the game leaning i think one of the strongest selling points of it being we are taking a personal approach to these characters and you're going to get to see, like, eight different smaller stories told rather than, like, one big, like, you know, generic epic one. But then to, like, meet these characters and, like, they themselves ruin each other's stories, I feel like. Because they're all very personal stories. So, like, why does... Like, some of them you can maybe argue, like, you know, the cleric n- needs people to protect her as she goes on her journey. Uh, Alfin yeah. might want to meet up with, like, certain people, like the cleric or someone, to... Like, you know, he's on an adventure and it's kind of, you know, a generic adventure. He just wants to uh, see the world, learn to be better doctor and stuff like that. I wouldn't mind if there were at least a little bit of conversation between these people. Yeah, I I wouldn't mind. I I said last time, like, like, uh, I really wish that there were almost a tale style of like, hey, if you want to to be immersed in this story at all like we have a thing where you're traveling with these two characters and they're at this mountain and we're gonna have a thing where the apothecary and the cleric talk about healing people and and like there's a sick kid on this mountain and they heal the kid and they talk together about like hey i'm you know i'm a cleric i'm about you know helping people and then the apothecary is like i'm also about helping people and then they're like hey our individual stories are personal and yet we both are very uh similar in some ways and it's like yeah we learned a lot about each other but the game feels so synergy bonus the game feels so weird because it feels so disconnected the characters like if if the main point of a jrpg is that like they it is largely a like basic fighting mechanic puzzle uh, with the story that you're wanting that, that is driving you to play, then like this is the weirdest story that I've encountered in a long time. Like it just is so, like it, it, there's no immersion or cohesion with it because of the way that they handled it. Like I almost would have been happier with like the, uh, uh, the I'm the apothecary and I'm walking around and then I encounter the thief and then the thief is like, hey, what's up? I'm busy. And then you start playing as the thief, and then, like, the apothecary is still there chilling in that town. Something like that. And then you would be able to, like, warp between towns or something like that and continue the story, and it, it would be, it would have been a much different game, and it would have been much harder to do from a JRPG For standpoint. Sure, yeah. But, um, but it just, it's, it's, it's bizarre. I mean, at the very least, there should have been some sense, semblance of, like, why anyone would want to party with each other for this do you think it's weird that they you know this game was originally codenamed octopath traveler and they were like now nah, that's good that's fine yeah I, I i mean i don't think the name is good i don't think the name is good and i think that i've never because i i was recently playing my switch I, I this happened twice recently where i was playing switch and someone said what are you playing and i said octopath traveler and they said a uh, nope and there was n- there was no question that comes after that like 
what is it? What type of thing is that? They're just like, what the? No, absolutely not. I don't have, I'm not interested in that, in that name. That name does not provoke an, in, an, in, like a, that name does not provoke a follow-up question at all. Yeah, they, that's a, I, I don't even know how to approach the name of this game, but that's fine. E- either you know it or you don't know about it. Um, I'm still playing it. I, I, uh, I haven't put in the amount of time to like, like it or dislike it yet uh i liked it more in the beginning and now i'm slowly disliking it more and i've completely fallen out on the stories because like the stories are a little bit too generic and the characters are a little bit too like shonen like i want to get better i'm a simple man and like all the entire story about them is like how simple and how like it's too focused and i uh, like I, I usually like JRPGs that like create at least a like at least have a semblance of nuance with the characters because if I'm supposed to like the characters, I want to have more to hold on to other than like I am a thief, I am a good thief, I want to thief the biggest thing, and now it turns out that they have betrayed me, so I must thieve bigger than I was thieving before, and it's but like that's... Therion is absolutely the worst story, so I, I feel like yes. His story is bad, but I don't think that that's indicative of the stories overall. Okay. De- definitely the worst character. Wasn't he um, on the polygon the coolest character? No, he was the worst character. Okay. okay. He was considered the most annoying character to start with. Um, I think it was like him and then like Ophelia. Uh, um, but other than that, I don't yeah. know. I, I like the merchant character. I like the dancer character. I haven't really gotten to them, so we'll see. I... I mean, it, it, there, there's some interesting things. I don't want to draw a line yet. I don't want to say, like, I hate it, but I do think that I do hate JRPGs. I can't believe that that genre is stumbling forward. It is unbelievable I think I'll, how bad that genre is. I think is. I'll keep playing it. Uh, because now that I've gotten through the prologues, I think it started to pick up. But I am worried that as soon as um, Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate comes out on Switch, that... I might just transition over to that, and that will be my Switch game. And then somewhere down the road, somewhere in 2019 or 2020, I'll finally play Hollow Knight. Yeah. I feel like if Persona weren't a JRPG, I would still play it, and I'm only playing it because it's of the trappings of, like, how cool the concepts are and how good the writing is a lot of times. And then, like, the addition of that, like, time management sim um, with, like, all these little, like constantly checking boxes of like you hung out with this character five times and now you went up one grade on the tarot card and now it's a little bit stronger and like all these different little exciting things but it almost like when i look at that when so like when i like i'm thinking about like persona which is like the only games that i really like that are jrpgs and i used to be like such a huge fan of this genre um I think that if you took away the trappings of like the these like the cool stories of like these different weirdo high school kids that have their own unique things going on uh, with like the uh, the the different like uh, time management and simulation stuff, then I would never play that game. Like if those if that if that if that even if that fighting system were were like in like generic like sword fighters, like that game would suck, which goes to like. Which, which, like, begs the question of, like, is any 
is is the entire jrpg turn-based mechanic just absolute bunk and that should they have never point. Yeah, should they never right? make I mean, that game ever again like is anyone loving that or, or is the jrpg turn-based mechanic just like when people think of a heavily narrative story they think well players need to be able to do something to make it a video game and not a graphic novel so we'll add this like grinding jrpg mechanic of like turn-based because yeah. it's easy but, to do but, but it's not that, fun that and it's even like busy i work. feel like even Octopath Traveler is a step backwards uh, from Bravely Default, a game infamous on this podcast that I still feel had pretty good combat. A Bravely Default, like I, like for for every for the the things that I hate about Bravely Default, um, the like the braving and defaulting is more of a puzzle than a lot of other JRPGs because for anyone who doesn't know like and this is simple and this is it like this is basically all the game has other than like a cool class system and that is like you ante up turns where you can take like four extra turns in a row but that will lose you the next four turns or you can default and just defend to gain like extra turns in general so like it that kind of it uh, th this game kind of almost has a braving and defaulting it does, mechanic yeah. like like in a less in, in, in an actually less interesting way um but i don't know um so what what uh rpgs did you like F like final fantasy 10 i feel like i could go back and play final fantasy 10 and enjoy it well enough but for the um, most part, I feel like I would rather just have more SRPGs like Disgaea and more especially like uh, Final Fantasy Tactics. Yeah. Um, well, I think those present a lot more of a puzzle, right? Like because those have like movement, positioning, like strategy, area denial, like AOE clumping enemies, not clumping your own enemies or clumping en yeah, your own enemies. Those and like with like Enter the Breach, and I know that there's another one coming out soon, Wargroove. Yeah. So I'm not saying that genre is like totally absent, but I don't know. I, I I feel like everyone is always celebrating Final Fantasy Tactics, which makes it more confusing that they don't just make more of them or do a better job at like because that's another thing like people are making so many jrpgs and they're not making those srpgs like i would if octopath traveler were like you're walking around and you're walking around and you get to a big story beat and it makes sense for you to have this like big long protracted tactical battle with the characters that you've met and it's focused more and then and then in doing so i had a chance to like focus a little bit more on story and do all this kind of stuff i think it would be a better game overall but like i don't think having a jrpg adds anything to it and yet i feel like people like developers always default to having jrpgs in a narrative based game because it's just the easiest thing to do and then meanwhile with the srpg it was like i i loved tactics but uh i I haven't really played that much Disgaea because some things about it turned me off, and yeah, uh, uh, I don't really see. Yeah, I don't see a lot because I, I Valkyria Chronicles, which is gonna get, is getting there's a new Switch one coming out, is like one of my that's in my top ten of all time for video games. That that should right, not be wow. said lightly. Like Valkyria Chronicles for PS3, I believe, like the first one is like the is like one of the most unbelievable games i've ever played i will never forget it as like 
like just the name alone i love i i want to play more valkyria chronicles they had a recent one that i didn't want to play because it had some big changes but um the one there's one for switch coming out that i'm really excited about but I, i i like that i like like moving units around and having more like positioning in my rpgs rather than just jrpg like turn based pick the enemy's weakness hit them with the weakness have the right characters in the battle at the right time that's it yeah uh what else have you been playing have you been outside of the switch uh don't say dragon ball fighters i was gonna say no that one wants to hear it. no um, one wants to hear it uh i have been playing zamasu and dragon ball fighters which i, I think i i think that dragon ball fighters is uh it has like invigorated itself for me in a weird way because i already liked it a lot before and i was playing a little bit of every week but i've been suddenly playing like nonstop because uh just this thing happened with like no balance changes really all of a sudden the tournament scene and the pro scene kind of got in a weird place of like expanding outwards and a game that was like steadily over time without balance patches was slowly starting to like strangle the characters that were viable is now all of a sudden opening up and there's no reason for it but it's it's weird just like one like sonic fox beat uh won Mm -hmm. a tournament playing this character zamasu that when zamasu came out was like considered like pretty universally bad and like i said like could be really good if people put a lot of time in but hard to even say and has to work too hard for it to make any sense and then he like wins a tournament with them with him and like this character is like not you know mind at all for tactics so there's been so much like movement in tier lists and the viability of characters has gone up what? Yeah. So, and then also base Goku, base Vegeta. The trailers came out. Pretty dope looking. Not dope. Pretty dope looking. Looking from a uh, gameplay pretty standpoint. Pretty looking. Pretty dope. Pretty dope looking from a gameplay standpoint. Pretty dopey looking from an aesthetic standpoint. Um, I played some of uh, I played some of Gungeon. Um, I haven't gotten no, to anything didn't. that uh, I I I, I haven't because I you, I you can't I, play twenty minutes of Gungeon and tell me you played some Gungeon. Yeah, I I I. I need to play more. Um, I haven't gotten to anything. What is what is the uh, new Gungeons and... The Advanced Gungeons du- and Dragons update? Yeah, yeah. Dragons. Say it right. Did I not? You didn't. You said dragons, not dragons. Yeah, so this update was supposed to come out in, like, spring of 2017. But here we are. Hey, it's free. Go to uh, hell. Don't, don't, don't. It is free, and it adds ultra-wide support, and it does a ton of other new things. <clears throat> new guns, items, enemies, shrines, NPCs, rooms, and secrets. And there is also 500 new synergies, which essentially means that if you pick up two items, it's going to alter the way that those items work. That's the, probably and, the most interesting thing to me to hear. And also the game tries to give you synergies, so if you pick up an item, you're more likely to find another item that that synergizes with. And that's a cool thing. And also more ammo drops. So more likely to use, you're, you're essentially, you know, more welcome to use all of your weapons. Uh, they added a turbo mode if you're a psycho and you want to play the game faster, which I tried. And that is a really hard way to play that game. Okay. But I will say I'm really excited for ultra-wide support. Uh, I was talking to the devs on it last year, and they said, yeah, we've got it working in the office. Can't wait to release it. 
and now it's a year later. That's how game development works. <coughs> they released it for free. Again, go to hell. That's my response. Can I be the PR person for Devolver? You know, here's the thing, though. I would pay. So just let me pay for things. I hope that they keep supporting this game. They said that there is more Enter the Gungeon to come and that it will be paid. And I am ready. I bought the game twice, which is pretty much as much as I can do, right? Yeah. Aside from buying it for every one of my friends list. Uh, but I've been playing the game a lot. Um, there's a lot of things that... Uh, <clears throat> so last year when I stopped playing it, I stopped playing it because I was trying to do this really tricky thing and I couldn't get it right. And now that I revisited the game, I did it. And what that is, is it's unlocking one of the secret characters called the robot. And essentially, it's an escort mission. It's kind of miserable. So you need to go to a secret area on the second floor and pick up this television. The television occupies one of your inventory slots where you would use instead an active item. Uh, something that might, like an active item in this game, is something that might give you ability or uh, invincibility or activate some sort of temporary effect. Uh, but instead, you get this television there. And if you roll, the television drops on the ground, and you have to remember to pick it up. And if you roll over a cliff, the television falls down the cliff, and you failed the mission. So once you get to cliffs, you need to throw the television across and then roll over. And it's a major pain in the ass, but it felt so good to finally do it. And then to think to myself, thank goodness now I can go back to playing this game. Is that normally. a good thing? Is that a thing that's good? Is that a thing that adds something positive to a game? Like something that is like inherently like built on being so frustrating as to like turn people away or cause people like undue stress before they complete it? To be fair, you don't have to do it. You don't have to do it, but in true like gamer and completionary sense, like why would you not want to get that extra character? Wouldn't well, that be something things... that if you played that game a lot, you would want to do that yeah. as unfun as it was? So one of the things that it made me think about is it made me think about, okay, as I go through my runs, maybe if on the first or second floor, I get something that's going to help me do this quest, then I'll try to do it. Or depending on the character I'm playing, because there are certain characters like the pilot who starts with uh, an extra active item slot. So he can actually carry two active items. So he's better at it because you're not actually replacing your active item like 100%. You're only replacing 50% of your active item slots, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's it's just like a consideration of like how do you want to go about it and how do you focus your gameplay. And I actually kind of like it that the game incentivizes you to do these sort of secondary objectives to, to get cool stuff. So the next thing that I've been working on is I've been working on getting the robot arm from the fifth chamber up to the the main chamber. And the way that that works is uh, essentially the first time that you do it, you're in the fifth chamber, you get this robot arm, and you need to find an enemy who has a balloon. And then you attach the robot arm to the balloon, and it lifts upwards to the fourth chamber. The next time you're playing the game, when you're in the fourth chamber, you might find the robot arm and then the balloon. And then next time, the third, the second, and the first. Uh, so that's been kind of a fun thing that's that, that keeps me thinking to myself, like, okay, I'll do another run so that I can get the robot arm up. But unfortunately, like, 
or or maybe not unfortunately but every time i play the game there's always okay well i want to play again because i want to run into that item i just unlocked or i want to try to get the robot arm up or i want to try maybe i'll try turbo turbo mode with the robot that game has a ton of variety especially with the challenge mode that they added and the boss rush mode and all this all this stuff and i feel like the most recent update has made it just a lot more friendlier and a lot more interesting because I feel like every run I'm getting cool items to play with that changes the gameplay. And that's what you really want out of a roguelite like this one. And, you know, one thing that I always think about is how much I would really love Binding of Isaac if it weren't such a miserably looking game. I mean, it's I, just how, so does that, how does that game have that sort of fan base? There's the, the Binding of Isaac recently can't has that like ab- aggressively overfunded kickstarter for like 2.5 million dollars as of right now with six hours to go and the artwork which is like it's a card game so it predominantly features the artwork and the artwork is awful the artwork is like to me it is like so impenetrable it's so awful that i would never want to to i don't want to play that game and i don't and i especially don't want to own a card game that features more of its awful artwork and gross humor. And it sucks because the gameplay is really good. It's a really cool game, but it who, is just who, like, the worst. I, I wonder what type of human would have to have created that because it, it is not a good human. But then it also makes makes me upset that there are people that would say that that is like a good aesthetic or they enjoy that aesthetic or they, they get anything positive from that aesthetic. I think that it's my least favorite aesthetic in any game ever. That cause you know what I could put. I, I could, don't. I'll I'll put it down. I'll say that that is my absolute. Uh, I will agree with you on that. Can you think of a worse aesthetic than poop and piss? And like new, like like weird naked stick figures that like are like a like it. It's just like like the game is like like. Uh, yeah, poop and piss and, like, grandmother beards, like, hairs on a grandmother's chin. Like, that's, like, the... Ju- like, it seems like that's everything. Like, just, just like, disgustingness. Like, I don't... What is what is it? I, I, I can't so imagine... So, what I'm picking... What, why would there be a, a, like... What is What was the original design doc for that? Like, like oh, I just took a shit and I had a really good idea for a roguelike. So if I'm picking up what you're putting down, I'm guessing you will not be backing the Kickstarter. No. So in that case, what Kickstarters are you backing this week? Right now. Are we entering Kirby's Kickstarter corner right this second? (laughs) Because I've been looking at Escape Plan. I was just looking at Escape Plan. Um, That is a really beautiful looking game. And there is a package that comes with the rest of their games. Um, of which I'm pretty interested in Vinhos and the Gallerist. Oh yeah, the Gallerist, huh? Um, um, maybe I'll leave you uh, to that one. But am I cra- am I crazy enough to back three hundred and sixty five dollars? Hey, what? How did it work out get... last time you did that? Tell me. Really fucking good. Really fucking good, if I remember correctly. Yep. Um. So. On in Kirby's Kickstarter corner for the week of uh, July, July 26th, the twenty sixth. Be with you. Be with you. This um, is WTDG podcast. 
thank you very much. Um, the I am Brian backing and of your music. I am backing and all in on the um, very polarizing Eclipse, Second Dawn for the Galaxy, the second reprint of Eclipse. Heard great things about Eclipse. Um, even uh, very excited about it. Eclipse has like maybe one of the uh, strongest uh, competitive followings with like big world tournaments and regional tournaments and all this kind of stuff. And there's like famous Eclipse, play, Eclipse players and stuff like that. Some of which are upset with the current Kickstarter and everything. Um, I don't have a great reason. So like, it's weird because uh, it seems like the game got better from a component standpoint and some rules and stuff were tightened up and made better and the game has better balance. But a lot of people, one of the big things that people are upset with it is like it's almost like a downgrade in every other way because it, uh, it Eclipse had built up all these races uh, over time that are all uh, asymmetrical and have these variable player powers. And now they're all taken out where it's basically the old like basic uh, races plus the basic humans. Um, to I me, that's that not being a bummer. To, to me, that's like it's 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 upsetting a little bit if you guys already did the work to make the races, but it's also not that I disappointing. Love variable player powers. I don't know about you, but that is that's a big selling point for me. Say that sentence one more time because I don't know if I heard the the uh, you do or you do not. Variable player powers are a big selling point. Variable players player powers are uh, one of the biggest selling points for me. Uh, so that is why, despite the fact that like um I I I can't get that upset having not played the original game or played the 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 other races, I think that like getting a bunch of variable player powers, which by the way I could talk a little bit about Gaia Project this week, um or uh, another one which we might have played a little bit of called T uh, Twilight Imperium, um and I played Scythe this week again, so uh, I'm a huge fan of variable player powers, um I really like. The game that I've seen it done kind of some of the best is like at, at this moment has been Scythe. Like I, I really love the way that Scythe does its variable player powers because the variable player, the variable player powers deal with a static board, which I think is really interesting. Um, and uh, more on that, I guess. But Eclipse um, looks pretty good, but it's still very contentious. I just finished. Yeah. Uh, if it, you are currently too late. Uh, because to the to back dominations, which has looked just so good and so elegant, it is a like nearly abstract domino style, um, uh, like area control and like all this different. It's very interesting. I can't really talk that much about it. I guess I saw it. I wasn't. It wasn't my my style. And uh, finally, the last thing I'm really interested in was the Island of El Dorado, which I've been backing for a while now. It is a reprint and expansion. It it might be from a like aesthetic and component standpoint one of the best looking board games of all time. Spirit Island says hi, but sure. It is so the island of El Dorado is like so gorgeous. It has all these like these like the like gold lettering on like beautiful like artwork tiles and just the box itself is like magnetic with a uh insert and uh the like it 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 has a lot of cool stuff uh, like a lot of like golden um components and like gold pieces and stuff like that 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 really fit the theme and and uh that game looks really cool so that's my uh that's my kickstarter second the kirby's kickstarter corner i played some games this week oh yeah 
Yeah, I played Roll for the Galaxy, um, which I think suffers from, if you don't like the idea of terraforming Mars, then you probably don't like the idea of Roll for the Galaxy because it is this sort of um, uh, solo building tableau game where the part of it that in, that is player interaction is that essentially there are these five phases to a turn. The five phases are explore, develop, settle, produce, and trade. And at the beginning of the round, each player secretly selects one of those, those um, actions. And the round will only use those actions if a player has selected it. So the only real player interaction in the game is looking at the other player's tableau and predicting which action they want to do next. Because essentially you can invest into certain actions, but if another player doesn't activate it, then the action doesn't happen. So for example, if you have four dice and you want to invest three of them into explore, then you better make sure that somebody has selected explore if you don't do it as your action. Uh, but that's a pretty neat game. Okay, and, uh, that sounds a little bit better because, like, we were talking about this a little bit, um, and it's weird because I I really like Charterstone, which like doesn't really have that much player interaction. I think player interaction can be done, in, like, or almost a lack of player act interaction can be done in a fun way that you're still like having bonuses for guessing other players' yeah, sure. strategies and stuff like that. And you can still feel like there is player interaction or everyone's around a table. And like, maybe maybe like Charterstone uh, adds to that with the legacy components and like opening up new things and getting to see new things and being able to like look around the table like, oh my God, that's so crazy. I wish I had that to build a strategy around. Um, but I How don't... How far the Charterstone did you get? I know. I haven't played in a while because I, we, we I had such a hard time getting it. About... There's a very specific game of Charterstone that you have not talked about yet. I know, I guess I haven't gone to it. That as soon as you do, it will be you'll be like, This was my favorite board gaming moment. Oh wow. I mean I, I haven't I don't even think I've played since the Disney excursion. So it's been a while and I keep trying to get the the group together. I'm at the point where I almost yeah. want to just like move on without one of the people my sister. Do you sorry, feel like a but... sense of shame out of like not being able to like oh, yeah, 100%. complete that game? Oh yeah, 100%. And that's like I, the I... issue with legacy games, and that's the issue why you can't have too many legacy games going. Because I only have one legacy game going, that being uh, Gloomhaven, one of the best games ever. Uh, and I feel a lot of shame over not being able to find the time to play that game. Um, I don't feel as much shame over Gloomhaven as I do with like. Charterstone because I feel like Gloomhaven's pretty easy for me to return to and also because it's a little bit more built in to be open with drop in drop out or at least like our very like minimal house ruling has allowed that um so I'm not as like worried about that and we'll find time for the future if not if not there will be time forced on us in the future when like you know uh what forgotten circles or something comes out and like we it is the hype and we want to play it that being that said it's a fire under you right yeah maybe it'll put a fire under uh, under us to like finish the campaign and get to forgotten circles stuff you, maybe you know, you know there have been some rumblings about uh, uh level 99 games putting out a kickstarter soon that is for what like gloomhaven asks for, for millennium, millennium for millennium blades. blades would you would you get down on that a big money, maybe not. 
No, I would say no. Yeah, because I don't think that you could possibly find people to play Millennium Blades with outside of me. Yeah, that I think that's a big oh, thing. So is like would... owning owning a board game is is weird because as much as there is a sense of like if you love it so much you want to own it. If you have if like your friend that the only friend that you know will play it like has that game then what's even the purpose of it like maybe that you could i could almost make an argument for like food chain magnate or something where where maybe like uh my ltcp or like a friend in my ltcp or like some family member or something could maybe be taught that game and like get some enjoyment out of it um but with millennium blades i just can't imagine that i can find anyone that would enjoy it outside of you and that like i would be worried about like just all the everything with yeah, that game also just like table magnet table space looks fantastic on a shelf mm -hmm. so that's a cool thing so outside of roll for the galaxy the next game i played is spirit island yeah i've uh, heard some stuff i just heard i was uh just watching the um so very wrong about games about spirit island and rule books that's a little uh yeah, advertisement yeah. So that is uh, another game that is a co-op game with variable player powers where, and, and I, and I love the setup for this. Essentially there are, you know, sort of conquistadors, explorers coming to this ancient Island full of indigenous people. And you play as the spirits of that Island who are trying to uh, push the settlers away through both destruction and through intimidation and fear. Uh, so the different characters all have these different abilities. So one of them is the shadows that lurk in the forest. And that's like the name of the spirit. And and he, what he does is he essentially picks off lone explorers and elicits fear in them, draws them into jungles, like tantalizes them to come into jungles and then kills them. And then uh, another yeah. one of them. I, I love this like, idea of like an anti-euro. <laughs> Yeah, and then one of them is like the the wild rivers or something like that, where essentially this is a spirit that can move along the water of the area and then just like flood out the cities of, of the settlers. And then there will be another one that's like um, the mountains. And the mountains are really good at defending the indigenous people and like causing landslides and things like that. And, and they sort of all work together and do different things. So, for example, the... Um, there's like a lightning based spirit and he's able to give more energy to the other spirits. And one thing that's also cool about this game is that there, you're not really taking turns. Everything is happening simultaneously. So people are just talking about what they can do. And the reason why this is a good co-op game and pandemic is a bad co-op game is because in spirit Island, you don't really know the full extent of what everyone around you is capable of. And because of that, the game is kind of immune to quarterbacking. Whereas pandemic can really devolve into one person telling everybody what to do. Yeah. That, I, I have that issue with pandemic legacy. It's like that game, like actually uh, uh, almost warrants quarterbacking. Cause like, I, I don't even know how you would win otherwise without just having one person to agree on, like, this is what we must do to be most efficient, rather than everyone being like, "I this is my idea for the way we should solve this problem, and then everyone else doing their own thing. Like, with, with having at least one halfway decent strategy in mind and trying to pull it off is better than having a bunch of people who are, like, doing their own unique but separate smart strategies. 
Yeah, so Spirit Island really impressed me. And I thought to myself, like, oh, I should really get Spirit Island. But then it's that shame again of if I'm going to play a co-op game, can it just be Gloomhaven? I don't think, I don't know if that's entirely fair. I don't know if it's fair either. And then also, like, Spirit, I think, isn't Spirit Island something that you could, like, bust out and play with friends and then put away, whereas Gloomhaven's the kind of thing where, like, I don't think Gloomhaven is, like, I, I think people could argue with me on this, but, and you might, but... I don't think Gloomhaven is the kind of thing where, like, if a friend was coming over, like, I really want to see Gloomhaven. Give me a little shot in the arm of that. Like, I don't know if I would want to. As much as I like Gloomhaven, I would think, like, no, no, you're not. If you're just going to play the one game, I don't really want you to, like, go through the effort of doing this. thinking about Spirit Island since I played it. There is a solo component, but also I feel like, in a sense, despite its complication... That, that it might be a game that I could play with Alyssa where it's this cooperative game where like the stakes are very low and it's, it's just cool. It's just good to look at. Yeah. And it's so interesting. I just want to play it more and see the different things that can happen. I heard that the expansion for it kicks ass and in a game of variable player powers, you want expansions to kick ass. Oh, hell yeah. And have you heard of a very old game called Cosmic Encounter? I I have, but I don't know very much about that. So Cosmic Encounter is a game where if you take it seriously, you're going to have a really miserable time. Because Cosmic Encounter is a game of not wholly a game of luck, but it is very much a game of luck where you have different ability cards and those ability cards will say things like attack six or attack 20. And obviously if you have a bunch of low attack cards, it's going to be miserable. But the thing that sells me on cosmic encounter is that at the start of the game, you are randomly given one of 150 different aliens and each of those aliens has a different ability in the game. So for example, the character that I was playing and oh and at the beginning of the game, nobody knows what anybody else's characters are. So my character was called the vacuum and the way that he worked is that if somebody beat me at combat and destroyed my ships, every ship that they destroy, I get to destroy one of theirs. Okay. So then it becomes very like dangerous to attack me. Uh, another player, Paul, was playing a character called the Oracle. And what the Oracle does is usually you put down two cards blindly. Like you put down a card blindly, the enemy puts down a card blindly. And there's also not only attacking, there's also negotiating. So if you say with someone like, I want to negotiate with you, and they agree, then you have one minute to make a trade between the two of you uh, successfully. And if you don't... uh, trade successfully then it's called a failed encounter but if you try to negotiate and somebody else attacks you the attacker regardless of the amount that they that they attacked for instantly wins so it's sort of like um a prisoner's dilemma situation when it comes to negotiating and uh so the the oracle has an ability of you get to see what card the opponent put down before you choose yours there's also 
And this was insane when I found out about it. It didn't happen in the game. But there is a character with, that just says, you're allowed to cheat. You can cheat, but if somebody catches you, you lose the power. How? What is cheating? Like, you could draw extra cards or pull ships back out of the warp, which is where you go when you die. So if you're just, like, discreetly doing things or, like, moving stuff around and no one catches you, then, then you're good. That's so cool. I like that a lot. That weird. What a weird way to add a dexterity component. Yeah. So I don't think I liked it when I was playing it, but thinking back on it, I kind of dig it. And it's really fast to play. It's easy. But the unfortunate thing is that, like, since it's like hand based with all this, like, uh, you know, these cards, you can get a really bad draw of cards. And because of that, have a lot less fun. But there's also a lot of player interaction and teaming up with people and like a lot of take that. And you can ask for help. So like people can like gang up on people and that's kind of cool. And there's also shared victories. So I actually won the game on a shared victory where someone said, let's negotiate. And then I said, yeah, I agree. Let's negotiate. But then I put down an attack card. So he was trying to negotiate. I attacked him. And then he used a card on me, like it was called like um, like emotional resonance or something, and it forced me to negotiate regardless of whether I had a negotiate or not. And then he said, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to trade planets, and we're going to share a victory. And I said, deal. And then we both won. Oh, cool. And it's such a weird, crazy way to end the that game. That is insane. And, and it plays in like 30 minutes. So even if you're having a bad game, it doesn't last that long. So pretty neat game. Liked it a lot. Friend of the show gave me, uh, Sean, uh, who sometimes co-hosts the show, gave me Waterloo Seltzer. Really? What is that? It is a seltzer that I've never heard of, but he gets it uh, in Philadelphia. And it is without... I, I, if there's one thing I can claim to know, it's not board games. It's seltzer. This is the best seltzer I've ever had. I don't know why it tastes like juice. It's very, like, it's way, like, thicker than other seltzer to the point of, like, almost being, like, having, like, a slight syrupiness to it. But it's it's seltzer. It's zero Maybe calories. They, just have, they probably just have a lot of that um, natural flavors. Yeah, it's that, it's that Philly, Philly water that I just popped. Wow, nice. I'm yeah. drinking a um, Voodoo Ranger IPA. From oh, New I got Belgium. a Guinness on the side. But, um... Uh, I want to get into some bigger, bigger game. Bigger boxes. Bigger boxes. Um, before the day of my birth, Kerba Day 2018, um, I sort of, sort of played a game that I must return to bef before I make a full judgment. Just get, just get to it. What do you got? Gaia Project. Gaia Project. What is that? Um, Gaia Project is that like is... the illusion of Gaia on the on this SNES, mm -hmm. the best SNES game. Mm -hmm. Cool. It's exactly like that, and by what I mean, uh, and what I mean by that is that it is a follow up to Terra Mystica, which is uh, hal a hallowed name in board game circles. And Gaia Project is no slouch because Gaia Project is, I believe. Uh, right now, rank 10 on BGG, again, for whatever that's worth. I don't know if it's worth that much, um, but it is... You always say that. Yeah, what do you, what do you mean? Because there's... You, you, do you put you put no stake in uh, 
in this in this website huh? i put i put some stake in it but i feel like there i i feel like uh when i when i th- this might be a longer conversation but if i look at like the top you know 100 or so it's like there is a real swing towards newer games more um like interest interesting like thematic games um what if i told you that games that are developed recently are just better I, that's that that was my that's like some of my thought too like uh friend of the show sean who was over here like we, we were talking a little bit about this and uh like i was talking about you know my new found love and showing him some of my collection and stuff like that and showing him the uh the board the bgg like rankings and stuff like that and he's he like doesn't get it. and he's like you know like look at all these really new games is that interesting to you that that's that way and i i kind of had a similar response i kind of had like an almost video game-esque response and that is that like if you're talking about game mechanics like game mechanics get better over time like we're not talking about a like if if you're going to rank the 100 best books of all time like narratives have not gotten necessarily better like there are there are books and like works that can never be achieved again whereas with games uh people designers find out what works and what doesn't work over time and because of that they're able to like take great ideas from other games and then refine them and then fail and then refine again and that's why like games can be better than they've ever been recently um but even then i think that there's like some games that are kind of weird on on the top 100 or uh some kind of things where it's like i i don't want to like i feel like like one of the the things that like especially like the top ten, like kind of rubs me the wrong way. I feel like some of the ordering on there is kind of bizarre. Like, I don't know if I would say Gloomhaven is the best game of all time. Like, it, it, I don't know if that that's what it means. I think it's the most agreeable game. Like, I I feel like Gloomhaven is a game where where like ev like I feel like most people are gonna have at least an eight out of ten experience with it. But the best game, like like does it get to occupy that spot forever? I don't know. Maybe we'll for right now. Yeah, maybe for right now. But there's not a lot of movement in those ranks right now. But uh, so maybe people should release better games. Yeah, I don't know. And then there's games like I. I feel like there's a lot. There's also um, a lot of games that like get further up the tracks on hype alone. And then there's other stuff of like different ratings not making any sense. And then when you have any sort of public rating that's not like actually Metacritic, where you metacritic or like um uh anything else like any sort of like curated meta review system then you you have you run the issue of just people sign up and they're like 10 i bought this for 300 dollars, so i have to say it's a 10 out of 10 and then there's people who are like zero out of 10 i've never played it but i hate it and i don't want to pay 300 dollars, and i want to feel comfortable that knowing that i don't want to spend that money and, like, you get a weird amount of that. Like, you get so much contention and so much weird, like, like uh, effects with completely open public reviewing that I think are, like, always negative. Like, like, like you don't get, like, a good skew. I feel like you get too much polarization sure, sure. with the public of too many people who say, like, but- played it, had fun, 10 out of 10. Played it, didn't have fun, or don't want to play it, or don't have the money, 0 out of 10. That's it. A Gaia project. Okay, so Gaia project. Um, it may- looks. I do not like the way it looks. 
I fucking hate the way it looks, man. It looks so bad. It's so weird, like... You know, like with with reviewing, I I think it's kind of weird. Like you you know when you're when you're reading reviews or like like this is the tenth best game on BGG. So maybe this in itself will start to be like here is one of my good excuses for why that rating system is kind of goofball. Um, but uh, the Gaia Project, like I, I I I've read a lot of reviews and stuff like that, and from people that I agree, I generally agree with. And seeing, like, you know, the Dice Tower and stuff like that. And a lot of people think that the game looks good. It is the ugliest game. Like, the artwork is, like, clip art level, like, 97-era clip art level. I don't know if it's supposed to be, like, schlocky for fun, but it doesn't... I don't think that it pays off, ultimately. But, uh, yeah, totally ridiculously ugly game. Very, very ugly art. The components, not as ugly. In fact, like, one of the components, the Quantum Intelligence Cube, might be one of the most gorgeous components. I absolutely love them. They fit together in interesting ways. One of the most gorgeous components, what, in this game or overall? Because... Have you heard of Stonemeyer? Yeah, I mean Stonemeyer murders it with the components. Holy shit. If you play Charterstone, if you play Scythe, don't don't even play Scythe. I'll tell you about Scythe later, actually. I recently played Scythe again. Nah, you don't have to. Um I I do want to talk a little about Scythe. But uh so so I played a little bit of it. Um I just wanna say that that uh I, I want to give Gaia Project another chance. I want to play a uh, solo version and I want to bring it over to you and I want to have uh, even if it even if it's a two-player game I think it would work fine I just want to have it under the gaze of other people to really see what it looks like it seems like it is a very a, a like high, a, an unbelievably heavy game that if you play once, you'll want to play again and experience like how would it work if I do different things because it has different it has variable player boards that are so variable like to the point where where um uh, uh so very wrong about games sure. was talking about how they almost railroad you a little bit into like my faction is so good at doing this to the point of like. It, the game has all these mechanics and all these resources, but why my faction makes money really fast. Why would I not go for a strategy that like, you know, like, you know, put allows me to like generate a lot of money and then spend the money on things. Um, yeah. Um, uh, so very ugly, very interesting, but I gotta say at the end of the day, after playing that game, that game is the nightmare of board gaming. That game is the game that like you would, it is a, like a Dakimura, like, like, a, you know, like those like, uh, anime sex pillows, like the, the body, the, the long body pillows, right. like it is okay. that it is the gaming version of that where, where like you're into the hobby of, of board games and that game you want to hide from anybody that. D- sure. that, like you don't want unless someone is so initiated that, that you can just drop on them like yo i totally got a dakimura and people are like yeah dog anime for sure for for sure and then they high five you like you need to feel out the kind of human being that is to show gaia project because i almost think that gaia project turned sean so far off of board games that it led into the next day when we played twilight imperium you know, why don't you just call out of work tomorrow? Alex Alex Marciante is coming over for his birthday, and we might be getting down on some board games. Bring over Gaia Project, make it happen, because I'm in. Hmm. 
but but maybe we should talk a bit about Twilight Imperium. Yeah, the um, big the big the big box in the back of the room. The big the big beautiful boy, the big TI. If you say so. Um so it's a if, good if, if you say so, uh, okay, so I mean Man, I feel like it's impossible to talk about this game. I, I feel like it's impossible to talk about this game. I, the lead up to this game, like, if you're gonna have as much hype and everything on it, like, I, I kind of knew how this would go too. You know, like, me I, too. Like, yeah, I, you gotta, you gotta know. Like, like the, there, there was in in the back of my mind, there's two things. I, Twilight Imperium was calling to me. It was the kind of thing where, where like, especially Shut Up and Sit Down holds it on a pedestal, and a lot of people hold it on a pedestal, but I want to play that game, but it's eight hours long. So in the mm, same, I, I don't think it has to be. I, I don't know if it has to be. Yeah, that if that if you're playing with people who have played board games before, you could probably clear that game in four or five hours. Maybe fourth edition. Maybe fourth edition is true because I think that that a lot of things have been streamlined. The tech tree has been streamlined. Turn ordering has been streamlined. Those strategy cards and stuff like that have been streamlined. There's been a lot of streamlining. Uh, streamlining. Sorry. Um, uh, I, I but no in knowing like how much I wanted to play it, I knew that like we might not have the best experience in the first. We might not time. have the best the best group. So I knew one thing about the game. So I told Paul, friend of the show, Paul, that I was going to play Twilight Imperium, and he said, "Whatever you do, don't turtle. If you turtle, you're going to have a boring game." If anybody turtles, you're going to have a boring game. Be as aggressive as possible. So I took that to heart. I chose uh, what I thought based on uh, like a cursory look. I chose the most aggressive, simple race that I could possibly choose. Wow, I think you definitely nailed it. And then I just pushed. I just pushed as hard as I could into the center of the board. And what I was hoping would happen was that I wouldn't stay there long. Because at its core, Twilight Imperium is a king of the hill game. Not all the way, but there is something to be said for going to the center of the board and sitting there and being rewarded very well for just sitting there. And for all it's hyped up to be in terms of its complexity and weight, there's really only two things that you can do on a turn. Yeah, I don't, is, I don't, I don't disagree. Like, I don't think that that game is that intense. Board. Yeah, you place a token on the board, and then you take the actions of that tile, or you play your strategy card, and that's it. Yeah, that's really it. They, 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 it's really it. Like, like I think that game, like everything about it, looks way more complicated. Like my LTCP didn't even want to broach it because, like, you're looking at those faction sheets and it's a million words of lore which like actually somehow somehow like can i can imagine scare people and then there's all these different numbers that are values for all the different types of ships what are the different types of ships oh my god there's so much to do there but then but there's so few things they but then there's so few do, things right? that they actually do right they yeah, yeah, yeah i do i do very things they attack that's I, it so so i think it's an interesting thing like i I wanted a good game, and I really wanted to play this game, and I really wanted to get to a point where we were actually enjoying playing the game. So I thought I think a lot. Twilight I, Imperium I, is a good game. I, too. I thought beforehand how I wanted to do it, and I structured it in such a way that if I was the speaker, I would on the first turn grab the number one, the leadership strategy card, and I was going to go before anyone else, and I was going to literally do 
one of the only of the two things you're allowed to do, which I was going to activate a system and I was going to tell people like, okay, here is the order. When you activate a system, you drop that command tile, you have a limited number, so you're only allowed to do a certain amount of things per turn. And so, yeah, I'm so, going so to go down that. the order. I am going, like, I put the card there. Yeah, sure. We can, you, you move. Is there anybody there? You fight. Did you did you win the fight? Okay, you need to bombard the planets to invade the system to invade the planets, and then finally you go into like production phases and stuff like that. If there were space docks and stuff like that, so it's it's yeah, really kind that's, of that's elegant. It, you you just really place a token on the board. You place a token somewhere next to the land that you control, and then you put your ships there. If you already control the area then you produce. That is it. If there's an enemy there, you attack them, obviously. That's that's it. That's, yeah, that is the it's, whole it's really thing. interesting because like it, it's kind of brilliant the way that the game puts like all tactical actions, which are what they called, and I think that even the name like kind of scared me a little bit, but but like the idea of a tactical action is like you're doing all of them in order. You 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 hit that you you drop that pog down and then you say, I am moving, then are there enemies, I am fighting did I win the fight? I am bombarding. And then finally, did I not win the fight or there were no enemies or nothing I'm producing. So like you really are either like moving to take over an area, uh, hitting the pog down to produce, or you're moving to fight and that's it. Like, and, and at the same time, I also think this game is forgiving. I don't think there are games like, food chain magnate where if one of your first three turns is bad then you're gonna have a bad game it has to but be I actually, I actually think that because of the way and, and this is uh, is more so true the more players that you have in a game but in twilight imperium if you fall behind other players will be more likely to make a deal with you yeah, and then they'll be more likely to support you. And then there's the whole like once the center planet has taken, you begin probably one of the most interesting things of the game, which is the agenda phase, which you're voting on like actual like literal laws, and you can put in like new rules in place for how things work. And uh, I think that's really fantastic. And one of the cool things that that game that that secretly does as a mechanic is that. If you get into situations where you want to give a player an overpowered card, more people at the table feel comfortable giving it to the worst player because you're like, you know, they've got nothing going on. I don't want it to go to the best player, obviously. And I don't even really want it to go to the second best player because then what if that swings things too much? So you kind of feel comfortable like, listen, you got nothing going on. We'll throw this your way. Everyone feels comfortable about it. But if, but in a game where, like, I think that if we had a better worst player then it would have been really interesting to watch them handle this, like, all these, like, platitudes and all this extra stuff thrown their way just because people felt comfortable with it, uh, and then to start to abuse it to get back in all, as an almost, like, a catch-up mechanic, like, a comeback mechanic yeah. that, like, we gave them. Like, it's interesting because, like, comeback mechanics are, like, inherently frustrating in a lot of ways, but I see why they exist. And, like, this is a comeback mechanic that, like, 
forces you, have you to it to forces get... you to be comfortable with it because like it comes up and then you say like yeah i feel comfortable giving like i know what i'm doing right now i'm giving the worst player this ability and then like maybe they abuse it and then they do start getting back into the game and then you'd have to look back on it and be like oh well we we uh we literally voted on it you gave them that um uh so, so I, I feel like there's there's a lot feelings, to unpack yeah. here uh, it, because we did the play. Thing, the thing also is like one of the things that Twilight Imperium has brought to light for me is that the more player interaction you have in a game, the more you need everyone to be invested. I imagine that if you're playing a game like Terraforming Mars, you hardly give a shit if somebody's having a bad time. Yeah, 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 and yeah, yeah. And and, and Gaia, Gaia Project as well, like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and they probably don't even feel as bad because they know, okay, so I'm having a bad game, but it's not bothering anybody else because, you know, that's the way it is. But in a game yeah, you get on your like, phone. Like, like Food Chain Magnate or in a game like Twilight Imperium, if somebody's uninvested, then then you feel it on the board. Yeah, in a, really, the board. in a really weird sense. Not only that, but, like, like I, I hate to, like, Sean is on this podcast. He's very literally on this podcast. And I hate, and like, I loved seeing him. And I, I hate to have been like, I was honest at the time of saying like, Sean was like fucking up the game by being so dumb. And he's not a dumb person. But like, when you get into a seven, when you're getting into an experience and you're seven hours deep into it, like, certain things matter. And one of those things matter is that like, people are invested. And there was three people invested on a four player table to the point of like Sean just being this like manipulative like or or like easily manipulated idiot that is like not grokking like simple mechanics of like this is how you expand your base and get more resources like we're like 7 hours in I don't think that he in. was necessarily easily manipulated though because there's one play that you keep going back on that I think he played it correctly maybe and that is so 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 here's the other thing with Todd Imperium. The, before you say that, I think that there are a lot of things that are that only a game of Twilight Imperium scope could possibly achieve. And it makes sense that there are aspects of Twilight Imperium that are very simple because the scope is unfathomable. Like it's unfathomable. And like to have a character to have someone who is like still playing but kind of divested almost creates unique board states. And it creates weird issues in politics, which is the next thing you're about to say. So there was a politic where, and, and also, by the way, we were playing the there game was a, incorrectly. There was a law, because, but... So we were, yeah, we were playing the game incorrectly because we all had, like, a ton of action cards. I don't know what the limit on action cards were, but we weren't adhering to that. So we all had oh, all these actions. Oh, can, I, can, I, can I say one interesting thing before you say anything about that? So there is two rule books. There is a rule book, and then there is a learn to play. And the learn to play says very literally up front, there are certain rules that will get overturned in the rule book, but we are making them simple for you as a learn to play. So the, the ordering was learn to play is the first rules then those rules are overseeded by the rule book and then the rule book's rules are overseeded by cards so that i i i think that like it's also weird because we played a like we played like largely a learn to play as much as i as much as i studied a lot of like 
uh, YouTube videos and stuff beforehand of different of like multiple different channels learn to play of Twilight Imperium. I still kind of went off the rules of the actual learn to play manual, which has, as I said, some some things that they say like are gonna be wrong when you play the real by the real real book. But so regardless of that, essentially at one point we had a a card that said. Any, and it's a law, right? So anybody who votes for this law gets to draw two action cards. However, if more people vote against the law, then anybody who voted for it discards their whole hand. Which I think is you, brilliant. Like, is that is cool. that not brilliant? Because I've seen some of the action. I've seen I I've seen a a small portion of the laws in that game, and just from like thumbing through a little bit or hearing about them. But I've never seen anything like that. And to have this, like, like there, you were talking about a, pl- a prisoner's dilemma. Like, that is a weird situation of, like, if you're the first person to vote on that, like, do you go all in? Do you not? Like, what are you going to so vote? Let's make it, so let's make it more weird. Because we are in a board state where the person who is voting third is the one who holds the most votes. So you you the first player and the second player you and galloway voted for so you wanted to draw two cards and then i have i have a large majority of votes and i vote against so now essentially it's up to sean if he votes for he draws two action cards if he votes against you both discard your hand however sean is the arborek so sean has a special ability where he draws two action cards all the time so no matter what he does, he's always getting more action cards than everybody else. Action cards are more valuable to everybody who's not him. And he's just starting to get involved in a warfare situation with Galloway. He votes against. That you manipulated, you but sure. Destroy your hand. Yeah. And then you get upset with him. Like it wasn't the right play for him to do, whereas it, it, it was. I mean, I mean, it's not that it like that. That's a whole different thing. It's not that it was the right. Like, I feel like I would have been more comfortable if he were there extant on the board and were like evolve like because because there the the moments of Twilight Imperium that made it every because there were moments of Twilight Imperium in this over the course of the seven hours, like not every moment, not moment to moment, but there were like there were times where we are loudly shouting and arguing across the table and it's fun in a beautiful way in an incredible way and like you are being manipulative and you're saying like oh i'm bored we should be fighting but that's really secretly because you want to create fights because you're putting all this into i, want every, a, I need people to fight you I want this to, to be a war machine we, meanwhile galloway and i know like galloway and i had had sprung up on the the victory on like the victory point tracker by being passive so i'm at the point where i'm and, like where and i sub- and i sprung up on it through intimidation all of my victory points were fake because all of my victory points were essentially people giving me support for the throne because they were afraid of they you didn't and they didn't want yeah which by the way promissory notes oh christ almighty what is there a better is there a better board gaming mechanic than in a in a long protract, protracted board game like that being able to trade like different uh like rule books like different like handicaps yeah different handicaps to other players to say like i will not be able to do this to you 
and like what is the value of that on a turn do you want to like that instead of a planet or instead of resources or instead of fighting me or instead of something else um i love like the the best times of that game which like did lead it to be everything that i wanted were the times that like all of us are yelling but sean never got into there so that's that's why like when he does something like does a big swing where like you explain to him like oh it's crazy if you vote no then this will really screw them over and he's like haha yeah sure i'll do it it's like you're not invested enough like i don't believe that he could like he was at zero on the on the victory points like he was at no point like galloway was frustrated because because and it almost felt like he was like not internalizing rules at all like it's hard to be comfortable with a big swing that he would do if he's not there because he's like almost as much of a non-combative as my LTCP who managed to point out that Gal and I at some point have been texting each other because you have to realize like also my position was was interesting in a board state because I realized like I'm getting like my faction the Mentac Coalition started out with uh, two, which, like, I actually really like them. I'm really happy I picked them. Uh, even though that I didn't use them to what you think is their full extent, they start out with two technologies. So it kind of gave me this, like, they're also pirates and they steal trade goods, but it gave me this interesting scenario where I'm bordering Galloway, who is a peaceful race, who is, like, role-playing as this peaceful race, and he's like, I want to build up weapons only insofar as to create a deterrent. And I'm like, listen, dude, you don't have to create a tournament against me as long as we have borders. I'm comfortable. And, like, we're talking beforehand, like, slowly getting but, more But I into- guess the question is, for me, how do you plan to win? Because at that point, why play Twilight Imperium, right? You what do you mean? That's not what it's about. I think I, th- I think that, like, I couldn't tell because, like, I think Galloway was frustrated. And I, I, I know that, like, some of your, provo- like, provoking was, uh, was role-playing. But, like, Twilight Imperium is not remotely a game of like ag- aggression always wins like you can because the the uh, how do you know that because the uh the victory like because like the um objective objectives come out uh one by one you get to a point where there's 10 objectives on the board that are public and you can also get a, a total of three public object uh, three secret objectives so Many of those objectives that we were seeing were non-aggressive. There was one that was spend five trade goods. That's it. And, like, that was easy to do, and especially easy to do when you have a friend. So, like, and then there was two different objectives. But one of the friends has to win first. But that's fu- only one winner, right? Oh, okay, so so you are you are so smart in, in game design, and I feel like you're missing one of the big things that Galway and I seem to realize early on. That is, if we were friends, we could win. We, it, we could, we could uh, basically create a situation where only him or I could win rather than him, you, I, Sean. Because you, at the same time, you're, like, building up this war machine. So none of it, all of us know, like, like, Galway and I who who are, who know, like, we're building technology. We are, you know, like, going for these more peaceful, like, I'm getting all these techno- technology um, objectives. 
and winning but through. But not any more than I am, right? Because I'm getting the same technology objectives. But, but yeah, you could, but you weren't. Like, I mean, like you, because you weren't spending, like you, you put a lot of resources into like doing stuff like building a war sun, which like doesn't give you those overall technology objectives. Like that, that those are things that you were like wasting technology turns on because you thought it fit. But it, we, like what I felt like, and I could be wrong, I could be right, is that if that game played out and we kept being, like, friends, then it would have been a, a coin toss, him or I, rather than the whole group. Because if you created this war machine and Sean was creating this, like, idiot sector, then what would have happened is that you needed people to fight because you can't just fight Sean. So you need to, you need like Gawain and I to fight. You need us like one-on-one -on -one fights against you and stuff like that. But if we joined up, we could at that point, and this is fascinating, I think, we at that point created a larger army than you almost ever could have because we could have been in multiple sectors. With the and, two of you, sure. Yeah, but, yeah, like, yeah, with the two of but us. But at the it, same time, which case, as you're forcing yourself to build up, then you're not doing any better on technology than I am. That, like, I... I because you it wasn't... having to defend against me creates a technology situation for you. We were... But we were ahead. So, like, you you're, you're, you misunderstand that. It's like it wasn't too... Yeah, I eventually researched a worse on to create... Because because I felt so betrayed in a in a very interesting and good play by by you that I thought you were playing in better faith. But we're playing more role playing, which is good. I I'm not gonna like I not don't remotely hand it against you. Like I was so happy to play that game with you and Galloway in particular because as much as like you could have like Galloway was truly frustrated that you were telling him how to play the game because like I, I think that like if if you were doing it as a provocative measure, that's fine, and I think you were role playing, and I get it. And it was smart. But if you were actually doing that because you're telling him, like, yeah, you really should fight to win, like, I think that is dumb because, like, you should have let him, like, he could have tried to play it out. Like, he, like, you don't win that game every single time by being aggro. And you could be friends. And as long as you have one other friend on the board that, that can do that, that can say that, like, hey, let's join up together and in doing so create a more powerful force than this one aggressive asshole and yeah if two which people means team that... up they're gonna beat one person sure yeah but th that's that's like but that doesn't make for a great game either because then it's just king making not exactly because then it's not king making because you know that there's gonna be a part where like and it's a long game and that's why one of the most interesting things is like then it could be that like him and i are racing f for technology points and then at the and at one point maybe i realize like hey wait a minute like Galloway in this game of solitaire that Galloway and I are trying to create against Mason, who is playing the aggressive game, I'm realizing that he is going to win, which means that like I now have to backstab him. And you are allowed to totally do some illegal shit or some like crazy stuff in Twilight Imperium. Like I could have at some point texted you and said, hey, look at Galloway and I are way ahead, but he's going to win. And let, and let you know what I do is play. I just show him the text. And then I finally get something going between you two. And that would have been a good moment. Like, I, it, it, it's almost like it, it's weird because it's almost like any moment is a good moment. Like, I, I think that it's not important to go into Twilight. If you're going to play an eight hour game, it, it should not be important for you to go in and say, I need to get to 10 victory points first because that's dumb. 
Like, you're not going to enjoy that experience because only one of you guys can, and you can be as, like, tight as you want to be about your economy and your efficiency and as smart as you can, but all the weird variable stuff on the table, literal dice rolling for fighting or the actual, like, human element of politics and warfare and moving units about and creating borders and whether or not people want to be friends and stuff like that creates enough of a weird like impossible to manage situation that i think that like if we were to finish that game you'd still want to look back on it as like this story this like this thing of like these are the different races involved and here's how it started to play out it was a story yeah I mean, even, yeah, even, even for, like, the, the half failure. And, and part of it is I wanted to play aggressive because I didn't think the game would end. If if we had a day where we sat down and, and we actually said, we're going to give ourselves enough time to play this game. It's 10 in the morning. We all know the rules. Here's this impossible situation as a grown-up where we actually have the time right? to do this. Yeah. If that were the case, I would play very slow. Yeah. Not slow, but I would play a much more managed game and yeah, conservative and, 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 and less boisterous. Yeah, you'd want I to would be less boisterous. You'd want to create a situation where people felt comfortable investing in you as a person on the table. And and yes. I think that's the thing that's the thing about Twilight Imperium that I think is really cool is like it doesn't necessarily always have to be like you create a bond with someone and then you screw them over at the end because only one person can win it can be like you feel comfortable enough like helping each other because you like certain strategies you want to be aggressive so you say let's both be aggressive together or let's both be peaceful together and then in doing so is like similar to the way that laws or everything else in twilight imperium works which is like very almost sandboxy uh that like you're creating a scenario and people have to deal with it and i I kind of really appreciate that a lot. Like, I kind of really appreciate the stories that can come from it. But you're right. Um, it, it, it's very good to have at least seen that. Uh, and I think that it's not impossible to have a situation in the near future uh, where we can get some of the people together that have already played and, like, one or two new people that are going to be easy to jump in and then get it going really early and say, this is what we're doing. It's going to be long. We're going to do it. And we you, we need to, like, almost, like, uh, get a better... Because the first time we just got who we could get that would be fun that I'm friends with, and now we know a little bit better of, like, who would be people who would be interested in the long haul. I feel like people like John Getz or someone is a friend he of ours. He is such a... He is a sport, and he... he will play anything and he will learn anything he is so good as a human because he and also he embodies the uh concept of my winning is not the only thing at stake that my i want to create a story so like he goes into every game like that like i don't think he really goes into anything like i need to be number one and in doing so, like, he's a great gaming partner because he is about, like, creating that moment or creating that story more than winning. If you were to play again and you... Okay, so a couple of questions. If you were to play again, would you want to get a random race or would you want to choose your race? I think I would want to do a draft random race. I think I would want to have everyone ban... 
I, I think I would want to have at least I would want random, but I'd want people to ban races because there's certain races that I think just like should not be played until everyone like gets better with it and it's like we need to almost like give ourselves a mini expansion like stuff like the necrovirus just seems like something where it 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 feels like it's to take that and it's the kind of thing where people are going to immediately hate and it makes every sense why people would be like hey everyone at the table let's join up to like fuck this player into oblivion where to the point where they don't have any fun so that we can have fun because they're going to start stealing technologies that we're working for um Stuff like that. Uh, I feel like there are certain races where I almost feel like we should just, like, go ahead and ban beforehand. Maybe just that. I don't even know if that's just the only one that, that people would feel really uncomfortable with. And then do a literal randomness. Like a little, like a literal, a quite literal, like a random draw. Are there, are, do you think that there is, which race do you think is your favorite don't say Mentac. Choose something from, else. From looking at it and uh, knowing a little bit more of how that actually plays, um, I would be really interested to see... Uh, to, I, I, I was interested in them beforehand, but I would be really interested in to play the Ghosts of Cruz because uh, the they, Ghosts of Cruz. they exist... First of all, their home system is off the board. And it's a... So they are not even on the actual map and i think that they use a wormhole that they can only go to so no one can really go to their 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 home planet but their main mechanic is that all wormholes are the same to them so they can use any a or any b or any d wormholes as wormholes and then their their um flagship counts as a wormhole for them so they can wormhole they can use they can take uh units go into the flagship like a wormhole and then come out anywhere on the board. And like, to, if, if there was a smart, intelligent aggro player playing that unit, I think that is like probably one of the most brilliant mechanics. I think my favorite is uh, the Embers of Muat. Oh, yeah, yeah. They were also very fascinating. They come, do, do they start with a war sun? I think they do. They start with a prototype war sun. But and also imagine a prototype war sun at at the um a prototype war sun on turn four in the middle of the board. That's terrifying. I also loved some of the other mechanics that came up they 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 have. Um so the Embers of Muat, uh really a tasty, a spicy race. Um what they do is that weren't they like about constantly making fighters and producing extra fighters and all this kind of stuff. But then also they were the only ones yeah. who could go over the supernova or yeah, they, 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 yeah, they're just, they're just based on forging ships. They're like the forge. They are such a like cool race aesthetically and in terms of mechanics and like such a cool blend of both of those. Similarly, the Arborek, uh, who, who was Sean's race, such a really cool, um, thing where their mothership uh, counts as a moving space dock that produces units out of it yeah because it's this this biotic creature well you, you know the, the really cool thing lore wise about the arborek is that they show like the populations of all the races and stuff like that and the arborek is one it's only one thing that is like yeah. it is oh, only it is one, it is one mind that controls all things the hive mind yeah it is a hive yeah. mind that controls all things at once so there's only a singular Arborek. It is the Arborek, which is the plant that controls you know, all things. Yeah. You know what's surprising is that there is actually... Um, Violet Imperium is cheap. 
that surprised me is I looked it up on Amazon and it's like $110. Yeah, 4th edition? Yeah. That's I that's mean that's pretty, that's cheap. That's a pretty good price for what you're getting. Provided you have the people to play it with. The, yeah, it's the more the the, the opportunity is, cost, is really right? That. So, I I think one of the I think one of the things that was more concerning about everything is that I really did want to experience Pod Imperium and I knew that there would be like no better time to take that first dip in, which also might not have been the best. And I knew that it might not have been the best uh, just because it was the first dip into such a long thing. But that opportunity cost, I guess is kind of scary. Cause I, I don't know it, it like it, 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 as much as Twilight Imperium did create moments, was it creating enough moment to moment or like maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Uh, the day afterwards, uh, I played Scythe with my LTCP and with Sean, sure. and Sean won. And, and he was willing to play. And he was willing to play, and he won. And I wonder if if maybe he thinks, man, I should go back to Twilight Imperium now that I've played Scythe. Um, he just had a better time with it. Like, like I don't know what it is like about those two experiences. Like, I think there was something that could like hold his attention a little bit better that it wasn't about politics. It was something he could put his head down a little bit more, look at the board state and say like, this is what I should do next. And he actually ended up being like very efficient, very smart about the way he played and he deserved to win. Um, and, uh, I, I've played Scythe a couple times now and I feel like I like it more and more. So it almost kind of thing seems like uh, a little weird of like, is it, is it worth all it? Like, is it worth the highs and lows of Twilight Imperium if it's going to last that long, or yes. is, or would it be worth like a game of like, like we like we, we recently we had that time where we played like two games of Scythe and uh, Arjun the Consortium, and I had a fantastic time. And like, uh, I I I think that Scythe is something that gets better and better as you play it. It's very it's a really interesting game because it. I've I've been realizing now the more that I've played it that uh, that Scythe is a MOBA experience because you are playing and uh, half the game is an economy building game and then the next half of the game starts to be more like territory and dealing with like other players and that there are so many interesting ways to win and I would be more and more interested in like in, in like seeing that game play out with different players with different numbers of players with different sure. levels of play and stuff like that because i feel like it's an it's an almost it's like a fascinating thing to watch progress so in the game of scythe that you played did you have any combat at all we had no fighting and and that was like a that was like another thing that is like worth talking about i and guess at that point here but but here's the next question is there any interactivity in Scythe without combat? Because the answer is no, right? No. I mean, that that's kind of why I almost like the... So, this is... I, I've had a little bit more time to ruminate on Scythe. And, like, I, I think that the there's a lot of stuff about that game that's, like, so fascinating and so bad, and but so good at the same time. Like, uh, the Wind Gambit is such a weird uh, expansion onto Scythe because some of the... The Wind Gambit adds these... Uh, airships, and we've talked about this, but the airships are supposed to share this power. So you basically beforehand draw a passive power that will help everyone's passive abilities of like farming or doing stuff like that. Uh, and then there's an aggressive power, something that will that will be yeah. mean to other people. And 
I think the airships themselves are so important because we didn't play with anything. We didn't play. We played with um, uh, no expansions. So we when we, you played with Sean, yeah, we okay. played. We played with no expansions. We didn't even play with uh, invaders just to play the extra two to throw in the two classes in the mix. We just played with the the complete base scythe one to five. So one the the, the uh, or the complete base base five races and everything with no expansions and. I almost like looking back on it as weird as the situation sometimes felt with the the uh, airships. I could see how uh, and 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 uh, so very wrong about games was talking about this, and it almost gave me a little bit of more perspective on it from people who've played that game more times than I have. And that is it, like the uh, airships. As long as people are know how to use them. Um, with like players who have played the base game and understand the mechanics, the airships are what gives you that way to like screw over your neighbors or create situations where where you get to like you know ruin someone's day. And I think that fighting actually is really strong in Scythe. It's just that like we do have people who don't want to do it when like a simple fight is like so heavily rewarded in Scythe. I like, want to fight. The, the times that I tried to fight, though, people ran away. It, sometimes it's just actually th- hard to I get think, involved in it. Well, well, I, I think that you had a weird situation because I think that you, I think that the race that you played would have been better in a longer game. It would have been better in either a game that had more players or was longer. So if we use the resolution tiles, which are which are a big thing that people say that they they like a lot. Uh, like something like I really want to, I haven't had a chance yet to play Scythe with uh, Doomsday Clock, which is, which sets Scythe at a exact 20 turn, uh, like for the game, which is interesting because usually the resolution of the game is when someone completes like six of these like major objectives. Um, and the idea of having the game end after 20 turns is really fascinating because multiple multiple people could have their engine completely going. And at that point, uh, you the, the, the longer the game of Scythe, the more fighting would have to happen because Scythe also has a King of the Hill mechanic, but it's it's like mainly like a lot of people just end up moving away from the factory because there's no reason to like hold it. But then there are certain games and resolutions where it has literal King of the Hill of like, you don't, the game doesn't end until like someone holds it for six turns or something like that. And uh, every turn that someone's on it, they get to put down an extra objective. So like people are afraid of anyone holding it for too long. Um, uh, In the purposes of end game scoring, the holding the factory counts as three territory tiles. So if you're like, popularity but this is so inside baseball um if your popularity is up then like holding that is important so in a longer game like let's say we play doomsday clock where multiple people got their economies working and at some point someone gets their economy working enough they're like i gotta fight and they start fighting and they start taking over land uh, or they take over the the factory and they hold it better and then there is more reason to be like they're going to win if, you know, in the next two turns, I don't build up a big enough army to be able to take over the factory because we're so close right now. Or the the resources themselves, which stay on the board, are are meant to be a a, a reason to fight. Like, you're, su- you're supposed to want to fight over areas, not just for that reason to fight, but because people, you know, produce resources, but then they have it sitting on an area, and those are not only create things for you 
and help you build, but they also are, uh, for the purpose of end game scoring, worth a lot of money. Um, so the idea of like a, a longer game, a game that goes those 20 turns, you might have situations where someone just keeps producing and they start like, because if you're very popular, then producing is worth a ton of money. You can have, you can yeah. have like eight workers on one spot and, ev- and every, ev- if you're the Rusviat who can produce every single turn or another group can just go between producing and moving or producing and anything else bolstering, um, you can create a situation where like every turn you're going up like 30 gold. Like you can make so much money from that. And in a longer game, that would be more interesting to watch like a big stockpile of a resource being built up and then someone moving in to like fight for that hex because that hex is worth something. But none of that happens in like the core scythe, which is like, I don't know. Like it's something the the site shouldn't have been the way it is in the base game. It does need expansions and it does need all that. But my philosophy on this is I either like a game that's trying to be interactive, like all the like go all the way or don't go at all, like be interactive or don't be. And I don't like the half measure games, even similar to Roll for the Galaxy, where it's like, well, there's kind of interaction or even with like charterstone in most of the games where there's kind of interaction i'd rather there just be or not be i don't know if i agree with that actually like especially with scythe because with scythe one person could be trying to get involved in 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 some sort of conflict to better their interests and another person is just like moving away from them and in a way that kind of is like that is player interaction right because you need to sort of do a step change to react to what the other player is doing Maybe it's just that I like to get in. I like to brawl. I like to brawl in games. I like to get in price wars. I like to have more waitresses than the next guy. I think that there is also a lot to say about the uh, best number of players for Scythe because I don't think I've ever. I've only ever played with three, and it's probably and I, five. And I think five. I think four to five to more is the best number because if you th- if you think of a scenario, it like. Like my one of the things that kind of makes me sad about just playing Ti the entire day for my birthday is like if we could get if we would have had the like five players for Scythe, you would create a situation where like fighting and aggression and distrustfulness has to happen. That board one one of the things that kind of sucks about a static board in Scythe is that the less players there are, the less that aggression benefits anybody because there's there's it's very easy to run away from aggression and it's not that rewarding to get aggressive whereas if the if the board were crowded then you would literally get times where it's like i the closest space to me to make steel is this idiot sitting next to me i need to win that fight like i really do want to win that fight or some or people are producing on a space and it just makes more sense like i can move and fight you on the space and if i win i get a a victory point and we and like i am doing better yeah. and i take your space away from you which means that i would i would get the resources and be able to spend it um i feel like you part need more me, players yeah. to play that game correctly because it's part too of me you're right it's too easy to thinking about yeah part of me is even thinking about just going to the store tomorrow and picking up twilight imperium and trying to get a pickup game because I haven't been able to get it out of my head. I, I think I've been the same way, and I think Galway's been the same way. I'm glad that 
No, like, Twilight Imperium certainly is something, right? Pretty good. It does create, like, like I think that the stories that can come from it and the, like, interactions would would definitely be unique enough over the course of that time that you would, that I think I can imagine a lot of times coming away with feeling like that was a worthwhile investment of time as long At as every, it is. I will say that the entire time that I was playing a Twilight Imperium, I wasn't bored. I was always waiting for my turn and thinking about what was next. Yeah. There was never a moment where I felt like it was dragging. Yeah, I think except it's... It's very smart Except for like half hour turns. Like some, like sometimes like that can freak me out because I'm someone who plays very fast turns. Yeah. But I, I, I also think that there's something to be said about like you're watching other people and having, and like, I think Twilight Imperium does good enough with, uh, when pe when it's not your turn, even if you're not necessarily like getting a reward, like some games do to make you care about someone else's turn, like, uh, vis-a-vis, what is it? Space. What is the space? What's the game? Space space. Space space. Um, uh, I I think that Twilight Imperium has enough going for like players' opinions or politics or the overall map state that like suddenly, uh, that like the players' turns are interesting to you. Like where players choose to take over, or you suddenly see players that are bordering each other, and maybe you're not even you're across the galaxy. It's not that important, but you suddenly get very interested in that because it's like. They're bordering each other. Are they friends? Are they enemies? Uh, is I that would be interested. I would be if, but you know, go on. I want to watch people roll those dice because I think seeing two people fight in a game like that, as an onlooker, no matter what, every dice roll benefits you because somebody's yeah. unit is going to die. I wonder. I, I I was also like I also like wonder how that game would ever uh, deal with the problem of like. If there are two people bordering Mechatol Rex, and there's one, so that you have the the one person on Mechatol Rex, and you have two people bordering Mechatol Rex, and you have a situation where, you like, you can never get over the fact that you're always going to create a state where one person knows that if they invade and they fight, then maybe they can wrestle that Mechatol Rex away from the other person, or kill enough of their units that the next time the other person can go on and invade. But then you're always going to have like you know. A and B fight and C wins. Gotta get those ceasefires. Yeah, I guess so. That's... Or you gotta use the attention that Mechatol Rex generates to hit people from behind using the warp gates. That's what they're there for. Yeah. If um... it weren't for those warp gates, uh, the board would be too sloppy. You'd have to you'd have to go through the center to get to the edge. And it's good that you don't. I do really I really want to play that game again with the same people, with people who know because otherwise, like I, I just I, I don't know. I I, I want to like, I want to get to the end of one of those and see what that's like. The, the more people you know who play the game, like if three people know how to play the game and you're onboarding one person, I feel like that's easy. Yeah, it's not too bad. And again, I don't think the game is. I think that I could explain that game very quickly. I think I explained I, it pretty quickly. I think I did. I do a, a serviceable job. I tried very hard to do a serviceable job of that. I watched a let's play beforehand. I know, but like, or, or, or but everyone was, everyone still so seemed con confused. So like, but did, did you learn things from me? Did I structure that experience? I didn't learn anything from you that I didn't know from the cursory video that I watched. Okay. So it's hard to say, but I think saying there's literally only like two things you can do on your turn really 
that's what gets people. You either put down a, a tactics token or you use your strategy card, and that's all you can do. Mm-hmm. Scythe, in a way, has more things you can do on a turn. It does. You can do, However, because there's, back- there's four different things you can do. There's four different actions you can take, and you're only allowed to take three unless you're the Rusviat. That's just too many actions. I'm so excited for the, the Scythe expansion. Holy shit. That's the deal with games. Thank you, Ryan Galloway and Crying for the YouTube Music. We use the intro and outro revive off the new album Beyond the Fleeting Gales. We, you can find them at the Run for Bandcamp. And that was that went before James could do his normal outro segment, which is this. This has been WTDG Podcast. You can find us online at WTDGpodcast.com on Twitter at sign WTDG Podcast and on iTunes at What's the Deal with Games, where you can rate, comment, and subscribe to the show ryan i've got breaking news at the hour it appears that the captain of the mentac fleet is being put into smash brothers you know what's interesting i heard the arborek is in smash brothers so that's a very weird way to lean thanks ryan thank you james and uh we just don't have it yet